This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode, the first pull-up tray episode in quite some time. So, so nice to be back that I'm wearing a blazer for it. You know, uh, myself and Trey, we've talked a lot of basketball together, but not any for public consumption since the November incident from myself. And we're here to talk about all the latest happenings with the Raptors in what has been, you know, a whirlwind recently, very exciting yeah. basketball recently very successful basketball recently it's a different team now it's a different process to cover them trey how the hell are you doing how was christmas and all that kind of stuff i know but tell the audience thanks for asking you get sturdy i i got a little sturdy um my cousins from from new york came over and the whole time i was like how do i not look like the older cousin so we did a lot of dancing i learned a little about new york rap so it was good how was your christmas it's good. Uh, I went home to Saskatchewan, saw a bunch of family, learned how to do the Juby slide, and then put out a video of myself doing it because I was like, hell yeah, this is a sick old dance move. It's good. You know, it's it's nice seeing family. It's nice, obviously, you know, for anybody who enjoys family, that's always like a, a really great thing. And also, you and I collaborated together on that, that we afternoon where we talked about Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett joining the Raptors, OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, Malachi Flynn going out the other side. And what we have is a four-game sample afterwards where they are three and one. The offense looks a lot more intuitive. It seems to make a lot more sense. And the defense has had promising stretches, albeit not super, super impressive. Matt Stevens says Trey looked like he just got off the golf course. How do you, how do you feel about that? I, I wish I was that rich. <laughs> Not close. <laughs> but the Raptors, the Raptors. But yeah, um, I think so far I've been really pleased by what has been happening. If you told me that swapping out Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett would lead to a top five offense, I would, I would, to, I would have told you that you're nuts. I think what was probably the, the most surprising is how quickly RJ Barrett has um, – reduced his role and blended in within the offense. A lot of what he has done within the offense is like OG Ananobi type usage, straight line drives, catch and shoot jumpers. But he's also added portions of his game where he can be, he can lead the transition. The Raptors thrive in transition and helps with that. Um, his passing, especially going off of the dribble and using his live dribble to hit, hit the corner, has been has been super impressive. It's something I didn't think he was actually capable of, and it's a portion within the Raptors offense that OG didn't um, actually wasn't able to do. So I think it's a really good wrinkle. I don't expect him to keep shooting the ball the way he is, but if he if he maintains as an average catch and shoot th- shooter, he can lead the break. 
in in moments where there isn't Pascal or, or Scotty. He's a useful rotation player, not a toxic asset. So I I would say from the from the two, he's been the most surprising, and I think what he's doing is replicable like throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, for anybody who wants a full exploration of that, you can go to RaptorsRepublic.com. I had a piece come out today about it. Basically, the crux of it is that RJ's skill set is more unique and more valuable on offense when the decision-making is correct than OG Ananobis was. Of course, he's not going to shoot 10 for 19 from the three-point land all the time like he has been since he's become a Raptor, but the driving stuff, the empty side playmaking that's there we saw flashes of that in New York, and he's getting a lot of opportunities to attack weakened or compromised defenses. He's not a guy who has finished at the rim at a high rate in his career. That doesn't mean he doesn't have the talent. I think that was more a reflection of the difficulty of the shots he takes. Scotty and Pascal, chief among the Raptors, have been able to bend defenses into these you know, uncomfortable positions, and RJ has been punching those gaps, getting all the way to the rim. And that is the largest amount of his, his success. Also, there's like navigating the middle of the court kind of comfortably. He is more comfortable there, knowing he can get to a little pop shot, knowing that he can try and grind to the left side of the basket. And an underrated thing here, he shared a team with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle where teams were constantly, defenses were constantly gearing up to stop those guys from getting to the left side of the basket. RJ Barrett was just another guy on the team who was trying to find his way downhill to that left side of the glass. On the Raptors, he is the singular, you know? And and the Raptors, you know, I listened to your the the podcast you did with our, our friend Jack from Over Over the Water, and he talked about uh, the continuous motion offense that Darko runs. It's providing RJ with more opportunities. Earlier in the clock, in pseudo and in transition, it's it's been great, man. Super enjoyable. It's I think one thing I didn't consider when the trade happened is that RJ actually was able to play his natural position. Like on the Knicks, he's guarding much bigger players because he didn't have they didn't have uh, an OG, and within the offense, he was operating as this bigger wing. Whereas now he the guards who are facing him because the Raptors are this gargantuan team on the wings. He's much larger than your average two guard in the NBA. So his strength separation is only exacerbated and it allows him to to get easier looks than I think he was getting previously, like with the Knicks. So keep doing what you're doing. Like there's some of the obviously like within the first couple of games, like some of the decision making leaves with some pause. But he's given them a pop that um I I didn't expect so I'm super happy. Matt Steven asks, do we think RJ's ceiling is higher than OG's? I don't know about all that because, like, not lost in the shuffle of everyone being excited about RJ. And I know RJ just eclipsed OG's career high in points with the Raptors and tied his career high in assists in his fourth game. That's a big deal, of course. But OG walked onto the Knicks, completely restructured their defense, plugged perfectly into their offense, and he, like, they set a record. He had the best plus the highest plus minus of any player after joining a team after like three or four games. It's just like they win his minutes by an insane amount. He makes a lot of sense there. And OG, we've seen it on good Raptors teams. We haven't seen like this version necessarily where he's like a more fully realized version of himself. But OG on a, like a contender is a guy who he like he's depending on the game, your third or fourth most important player. Maybe 
even like your second most important, depending on the matchup on the other side of the floor. So ceiling is kind of this this nebulous thing. You know, Coco in chat says they seem like different players know and different teams. Yeah. Context, the better the league gets, like there's so much talent in the league, the more context impacts how players perform. Because like you're smaller and smaller margins because so many people are so good that how you're utilized and how your skill set kind of plays off of your teammates and how all that kind of stuff goes together, it creates a lot better outcomes for you. And so OG, I think, is not in the most friendly environment in New York, but he's killing it. And I think that Barrett is in now like a quite friendly situation in Toronto and he's been sublime so far. You can't, you can't help but feel like proud of him. He came yeah. in, dude. He's killing it. When the trade happened when we got on, we literally said if he sticks to a very simple role, works on the does the things that he does well, and like for him to come in and do that instantaneously says a lot about him and yep. showing his awareness. So I like I matching OG's like ceiling isn't a necessity for me, nor do I think it's like a realistic thing. OG's super impactful and like one of the more unique players in the NBA. And the Knicks are steamrolling everyone now with just a simple, simple switch. But um, if he can be a positive NBA starter in the league, that would be a massive win for him for where he's come from, from the Knicks and where he's like obviously been viewed in the league. Yeah, big time. Emmanuel quickly. I think for some people a bit quieter than expected, maybe in like point totals, um, assists, like he put up a bunch just last night. But as far as Emmanuel since joining the Raptors, where are you on... You know, because I know you were gassed when they got him. I, I, I had the flu that day too. I don't know if anyone noticed when I. When that was that the... was your Jordan flu performance. <laughs> it was, but the Mormons poisoned your pizza. <laughs> I had my I had my ramen noodles and screamed, "What? We got Emmanuel quickly." <laughs> I I would say that um, I'm still happy with what has been going on. I think, as you've seen, I think I tweeted about it yesterday. His playmaking and decision-making has, has been a plus for the Raptors. And having another guy who can get downhill, score off of movement, has given them other looks within their offense that they haven't had since Fred left. So it's just made the offense flow a lot better. They look like more of a natural team. I think what maybe a thing that he needs to work on or the next step if he is going to – reach the bet that Masai probably thinks is the downhill stuff. He has the, the floater, obviously, but you've noticed that when he gets cut off with the drive, he hasn't necessarily developed the counters that like maybe like a Darius Garland where that turns into like a pivot or like the guy you played with, Jalen Brunson, that turns into several different things or even utilizing his off-ball prowess and continuing to relocate off of the ball once he's cut off. But he's playing with two guys who are great finishers at the rim and you saw yesterday he spammed his assist, literally just throwing it up up the court with two six nine guys. So overall, if the the shot continues to be what it is and the downhill stuff gets figured out, I think he has a, a extreme chance to hit a, a ceiling that wasn't available for him before. He is, I think, what you mentioned about getting downhill. It brings up something that Joe Wolfon tweeted about, who is a great writer based out of Toronto, who writes for the score, NBA-wide stuff. 
he mentioned that he thought maybe we should be thinking about scores not really as three level scores but that there's a fourth component that instead of thinking of it as like the rim or thinking of the floater as part of like the mid-range you think of the rim as like the restricted area layups you think of floaters as their own type of skill their own type of shot making and you think of mid-range jumpers as their own thing as well because floaters are a completely unique counter and response to defenses that you that allow like a wide berth of playmaking opportunities a wide berth of shot making opportunities and i think that if you go by that definition quickly is a three level scorer he needs that fourth one and that's the one at the rim he has tremendous touch everybody's seen that he will be utilizing one of the best pull-up jumpers that the raptors have ever had on their team and some of the best movement shooting that the raptors have ever had on their team it's it's a big deal the playmaking i think has mostly been as advertised and somewhat better but it's just like finish a few more of those plays maybe go into contact a little bit more often use your last dribble a little bit more often he, he picks up a little bit early as a driver this kind of stuff is easy to critique from the outside when you're in motion you're trying to score against an nba big it's 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 tough to input this stuff but those are the things he'll work on going forward managing his pace and control going downhill because he's quick but he has to be able to play at multiple speeds and so there's stuff he can work on but i think although the scoring has maybe been a little bit disappointing maybe for some people not really for me I, i've seen some people like oh you know maybe i thought it'd be more um and like aggression who knows but i think that the package of skills that he's brought and how he's inputted them i think has been really impressive and he is above all else like a flow player he plays within the flow he won't like late in games the raptors really put the onus on him to create and it's gone pretty clunky that's you know that's unfamiliarity that's maybe he's not like that level of shot maker yet it's not kd up there above the break all that kind of stuff i get it but he plays within the flow he doesn't hurt anyone's game is a massive positive with his spacing his cutting his ball handling to help everyone else's game rise and the on-ball stuff i think it improves over time i think he has the skill packages to get to that point it's just about taking those next steps with the team after he signs his new deal in the summer. And yeah, it's, it's been good. I feel very strongly about this trade. Yeah. I think what was interesting with quickly is that the uses that I wasn't expecting that much on ball reps that he was getting. I assumed like everyone that Scotty would be. His they handed son. It to him. Yeah. I am like he's Scotty would be his son and he would be orbiting around him, relocating, taking taking uh, threes from there and then using when Scotty bends the defense, closing up, similar to, like, what RJ's doing. Um, I'm unsure if, like, this is, like, a, a portion of what their team may look like in the future, so they're giving him those those reps, or that it maybe it's some of Scotty's passiveness. Um, do you think he has the ability, because I do think he's quick and his handle is is good, but do you think he has the ability to develop into that fourth level score and be able to bend a defense in a way to be a non-ball guy i think the most likely way forward for him is growth not necessarily as a guy who learns you know the pivot bump shake loose free throw rate avenue of getting to the rim and i think he's probably pretty slight of build to be a guy who like gets to the bucket and finishes takes bumps over big men I think that 
he can still be like a main on-ball guy. He just has to manipulate fully, like completely unravel teams with your pull-up gravity and and work from that. And also like playmaking reads becoming really impressive and really high level is also a really important thing to be able to do. Like Tyrese Halliburton can't finish at the rim. Not really. Not not contested rim stuff, right? Yeah. But Tyrese Halliburton completely unwinds and undoes defenses constantly through his pickup manipulation on his dribble and his eyes and body language as a playmaker and as a passer. I think quickly the easiest way and the most, you know, uh, intuitive way for him to become more and more dangerous as an on-ball player, I think is through that means. And that is a means that I think pairs extremely well with Scotty Barnes. Use your motion. Be like, be clever as a decision maker. And, you know, you're not going to be like the most, the preeminent driver in the world, of course. But there are things you can manipulate with and there are things in your own skill set that are already elite that you can lean on further and the Raptors emboldening him from the start, I think, is a bet on those things because he got to show his shot making consistently on the Knicks. He got to be a gunner. But when it comes to the Raptors, it gets to be the crux of how they move through like heaps and heaps of actions offensively and not just for him to be a scorer, but for him to kind of set the tone for how defenses react. And so that's where I think his pull up shot making will really, really help move mountains for these Raptors. And I know we haven't seen a ton of the two-man stuff between he and Scotty, but they put out the clip, Masai's on the phone. He said, like, I love the fit with Scotty. There's a reason they're so excited about quickly. Like, the fan base is excited about quickly. Why we're excited about quickly. It is super, super impressive. So uh, I think there's lots of room for optimism going forward, even if it doesn't come in the exact way that people think, which development rarely does, you know? Yeah. I think like moving moving forward, because I, I think one of the things that's like obviously been circling, Scotty's usage has been down post trade. Teams have are showing much harder when he's when he's posting up and it looks like he's figuring that out at, throughout the process. But one of the big keys like for Emmanuel quickly to really get to the place that he is is if Scotty becomes the driver that he can he can be if he can bend defenses. Emmanuel quickly becomes 10 times more dangerous. And the fact that his gravity as a shooter is holding people on the other side of the court, vice versa will help Scotty like figure that part of his game out. Cause he pre-trade, he didn't have a player who, who had the same amount of gravity. Well, let's, let's keep it with Scotty. Then he has had a little bit lower usage since the new guys came on since the trade. Uh, I think what he had six points last night. Yeah. Uh, he was, I can't remember how many shots he took, but he didn't make many of them. It wasn't his best game as far as like offensive process, but taking that in mind and also the steps he's made this year as a playmaker, as a scorer, as a hub overall, what have you made of his process so far since the trade? You would obviously like want more, more aggression from, from what he's, what he's been doing, but defensively he's taken on a lot of guards and while it's been a mixed bag, he's done far better than what I thought he was, thought he would do. When I saw the, that Darko puts him on Steph, the first thing I said was, was like, this needs to end. Like, this is going to be a bad, bad scenario. But he top-locked extremely well. He he offered a lot of room, room protection also when when flowing through the offense, through, through the defense. 
But I, I would like to see obviously more dribble handoffs with him with him in quickly. Utilizing like the Raptors like patented like go screen that was like famous with Pascal and and, and Scotty, Pascal and um Fred. But um I'm not fairly concerned because he impacts the, the game so well. And I thought he was still impactful yesterday, where him scoring twenty points or not isn't really indicative of whether he's played well, whereas like other players it would be. Yeah. He uh he scores in bunches. He's always scored in bunches. And the big step this season is that the three-point shot has helped bridge the gap between quarters where he finds the wrinkle defensively that he can attack or when they're like playing in heavy transition or something like that, right? So yeah. he can be a scorer on any possession because he's still at 38.2% from three on the season. One of the biggest three-point jumps when you consider volume and percentage in NBA history incredible work from scotty there so he can bridge the gap as a scorer if he's shooting the three ball well in any game but he's always been a guy who finds a wrinkle in like in in a lot of cases it was the fourth quarter right where he sees something he likes to attack and he goes after it he goes to some of the more contested areas on the floor but he is also a flow player similar to iq the reason why i think there's such a harmonious offensive coast like ecosystem right now is Pascal is not necessarily a flow player all the time. Like, he's a guy who's like, give it. I'm going to go create something, like, repeatedly. And the defense will react, however, I don't know if we're scoring on the possession, but I'm going to draw two. I'm going to draw people to me. Let's go and let's work from there. RJ, despite being more limited as a player than Scotty is, obviously, is also a guy who's like, let's see if I can go bust in there and create something. So... There's room for players to play like in these flow states and like these open concepts and like continuous motion concepts. But there's also a bunch of stuff where Scotty can take advantage, can be more aggressive. And he is from an offensive standpoint, I think leaving a little bit on the table right now. But he's also a very cerebral player who a lot of his decision making is based off of what he's seeing teammates tendencies and also what teammates like to do and i expect that aspect of the offense whatever two-man action he's running whether it's with iq or with rj or any number of players i expect that stuff to grow over time with the familiarity which has been the case with every player he's ever played with so i'm not worried about it it's been like he's always had he's always had like bouts of passiveness offensively like this this was a, a reason why a lot of people were like disappointed at the very start of his sophomore season was that Pascal was out and there was this big hole for offense and initiation and all that kind of stuff. And you had guys like Delano Banton for games at a time being more aggressive than Scotty. You had games where Scotty, like you look at it and say, you're getting a lot of touches here and you're just like, you're moving the ball on. You're not taking advantage of that kind of stuff. And some of that definitely could have been linked to, I think a lingering ankle injury but also like he can be passive at times. And the thing is with this team, they've been so, so good offensively that that passiveness hasn't been punished. They have been punished in the past with, for that passiveness offensively. Um, Sports boy RD Wallace says, Scotty's not a point guard. He's a small forward who can lead the break. Uh, You've echoed that sentiment as well, I think. And I think that is probably the most uh, succinct way to describe his approach. Uh, he like in the half court, he plays like a forward. Yeah. He really does. So he can do things 
like a guard at times, as many wings and forwards do. That's the appeal of a wing, typically. That's like the LeBron, the KD, the Jason Tatum, whatever. The ideal wing is a guy who can emulate guard skills and then also emulate big skills defensively, cover ground, protect the rim passively, all this kind of stuff. And Scotty is a unique mix of like certain types of forwards. And as far as like the point guard aspect on the break, he's one of the best transition leaders. It, it, I can remember watching like in my life. He's he's really brilliant there. But no, uh, nothing, no disappointments. But no. I do want to like accolades. People, they care about that. You know, they like people love the accolades. I think he makes the all-star game. Although if anybody's in chat, you guys should be voting for him because he didn't even <laughs> register on the ballot, man. Yeah. Like the fact that Kyle Kuzma like outvoted an entire country is disappointing. Like I voted for him once, but clearly I'm not doing enough either. I mean, get on it, brother. <laughs> unless unless that media pass hanging around your neck at Summer League made you feel like you're impartial. I don't know. Big I, I, I know I'm friends of big media, guys like S. Fandiar, Bear Haney, and Samson Folk, but I am not of that ilk. Well, who, who's to say? But okay, so all-star status. Do you think that he would get selected? Because he's not, it seems like he's not getting voted in, not a lick. So coach selections. Yeah. I I would say yes. He would definitely be one of the last spots, and I think it would be dependent on whether the Magic or Celtics get two All-Stars. But I do think he's deserving. Like, when you consider how how much his, his improvement was needed for the Raptors to even maintain within their offense, the skill that he developed, which is significantly hard for most players, and he not only improved offensively, he improved on the defensive end as well. And he's now a major force for them down low in, in the defense. And I think he's like him and Pascal, to be honest, have both been like 30 of the best players in the NBA. So I think the Raptors should get at least one all-star. Who would you be the most upset at going in over Scotty? If I, if I see Jalen Brown, that's, I, I would that's mine too. <laughs> Jalen Brown would be a really tough one. Also, like, I don't know. He's, he's competing against guys like Brown, Maxi, I think, ends up making it, but Maxi is like maybe in a similar tier. I don't know. He's getting like 26 a game. I think he's probably by coaches and by just yeah, because the 76ers are so good, I suppose. But even like DeMar, like I think Scotty makes sense as a selection, especially like Franz. Franz shouldn't make it over Scotty. I think that would be a little bit ridiculous. Brown shouldn't make it over Scotty. And I'd be really disappointed. If he didn't get in, to be quite honest with you, because the I know everyone tried to dunk on me at the start of the season <laughs> with the little the little stat query thing saying like nobody's ever done this before. And I'm like, OK, whatever. We don't know if it's going to manifest in points or assists or in more steals or more blocks. Relax. It's a prediction. Don't call me a dumbass just because you found some like, you know, you carved out a butter knife equation. And so. But you could start carving out butter knife equations for him right now. I got a stat from Raptors PR that they sent me very kindly. So let me just go pull that up because he's doing historic things, which I quite enjoy covering people who do historic things. And so here it is. You ready? We got a big one. Scotty Barnes is averaging 20.5 points, 8.8 rebounds, and 5.7 assists this season. 
Barnes has joined Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Magic Johnson, and Oscar Robertson as just the fifth player since 1960 to average 28 and 5 through the first 35 games of a season at age 22 or younger. Now, of course, this stat becomes bigger and better if he does it for the full season, but the fact that he's already here, hell yeah, man. The statistician on the Raptors, you cooked. You you earned your job today. <laughs> That's uh I wonder if they like they peek at like Keek's stuff. They're like, I wonder what uh you know I can pull. Uh, R R says uh do we trust Joe Mazzula to select a raptor? <laughs> I don't know. After after seeing Nick Nurse's shenanigans to the Celtics, I don't know. Do you Why think Mazzula is like part of that? He's like, <laughs> You did Kemba Walker. Oh, I can't believe it. Like he has those dating back to 2020 allegiances. If if Joe Mazzula knows that that is a thing, I will assume he is a sociopath. <laughs> He's got it written on one of his little cue cards that he uh, used to do. But the other thing I want to actually ask about, because I think we're settled. Do you want to shake on it? Scotty Barnes, all-star. Okay, still vote, people, though. I'm not I'm not one of those media members who's going to get blamed for not doing his part <laughs> or, like, pulling weight. Since that's what media is now, is, like, I'm just supposed to, like, anyway. A little insular, a little commentary from Samson. But most improved player, he's still in it. Yeah. Like, what what do you make of that, the pack? The, the, the award tip, like, historically is, like, the person who makes, like, an all-star leap and how many points per game did that increase by. That's typically what it is. But, like, if you look at the essence of the, the award, and the award is about improvement. Like Tyrese Maxey, I think a lot of it has to do with increased usage. I do think he's probably going to win the award. Tyrese Halliburton, the same thing. Like you saw, he was on the precipice of this as soon as he got traded to the, the Pacers. But like Scotty Barnes actually improved at very tangible skills that can be seen on his box score, both defensively and offensively. If anyone told you that he was going to shoot 40, nearly 40% from three and be a two stock, two stock plus guy you would say he's he's an all-star and etching on all nba that's unrealistic you predicted something that was even lower than than what he's currently doing so he's one of the few players that you can like pinpoint the actual skill that he's improved upon and highlight it like statistically so i I, if i were a vote if i had as much clout as you or others i would think i get a vote are you nuts you're I, you're about two years away from a vote. Two years away from being two years away? Is that the... Well, yeah, uh, I, would, I would vote for him. So, Tyrese Maxey is averaging 26 this year. He averaged 20 last year. He's shooting worse from three. Tyrese Maxey is one of my favorite players in the league. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I don't know if it was actually, like, if they were actually on the, the one-yard line with that Tyrese Maxey-Kyle Lowry trade. I'm not sure about all that, but if they truly, truly were and the Raptors didn't get Tyrese Maxey, I'm heartbroken. And not now, but for years. Uh, But all that being said, like, yeah, higher usage. Tyrese Halliburton, higher usage. Both of them have improved. But the point you make about, like, Scotty Barnes, not only is it, like, higher usage, yes, but he has such a tangible, like, Look at this thing that was not not only not a skill, 
but just something that was considered a major negative for my game. People, I know the coaches and I know the voters aren't going to care about the dialogue that much, but it's like people were calling me Ben Simmons. People were calling me all, you know, people are saying all this kind of stuff, saying how limited I am. And now I'm banging triples at 38% all game on over five attempts from downtown. That is one of the quickest, like, flips that a guy has done, historically so. I know Keeks hasn't put up, like, the, you know, this. these are the four guys who have done it. But those guys are, like, it's usually, like, Julius Randle, and his improvement isn't necessarily improvement. It's just, like, the crazy roller coaster he goes on from season to season because of, you know, it, it shoot some shooting variants. But Scotty's just took it. He's like, now I'm great at it. In fact, I'm the best on the team at it. And my God, man, that something has to be said for that. I think there's a case to be made. I'll probably end up making the case at the end of the year in some coverage or whatever. Uh, go on Kevin O'Connor's podcast to plead the case once again. But I tell you this much. The history of the award does not look well upon him. That's, you know, yeah. and channel, which is a funny name for a YouTube channel. Channel says, agree with your perspective, but voters will just see Maxi filling Harden's role and how they're a better team now and say he's most improved player. No. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. And also, it shouldn't be lost on anybody that Tyrese Maxi is like almost doubled his assists per game. And like, it's it's a pretty big deal what Maxi has done. Like I said, he's one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA and like talk to. He's great. Um, I do also think that it's really, really funny. Flashback with me. Flashback, flashback. It's All-Star Weekend. Scotty Barnes is there. Precious Achua is about to go on the greatest tear of like basketball play he's ever been on. But first, there's a skills challenge, including sophomores and rookies. That fateful day where Tyrese Maxey was telling Scotty Barnes not to hug him. And those guys combined to make no shots. And everyone in the basketball world laughed at them. And Tyrese Maxey since then has been one of the best shooters on planet Earth. Like in on planet Earth. And Scotty Barnes is one of the greatest shooting development stories so far this season. Oh, how we can rise from the pits of despair. It's like both of them have had such an insane season. Like with Maxey, like, Pretty much everyone pegged him as the most improved player. But the way that he's able to bend defenses, like regardless if they're flat or not, is something that he needed to show that he can do. Because a lot of it previously was attacking closeouts, using Harden's um, ability to bend defenses and create advantages, and he was just extending those advantages and scoring. But he is now creating advantages for his teammates, and I think with the trade that they've had, they've They've added more spot up spot up shooting that's allowed him to like weaponize his passing a a lot better and like Scotty I think for a majority of the season um, excelled like despite of the construction of his team and we're still not even at the point where you would think that the team is fully optimized around him and the fact that he's not only excelled on both ends show him that he can take on more usage and do it in a very efficient fashion. Like is probably one of the reasons why they made this trade. And another reason why, like they're, I think going to be going in a, another direction. Yeah. 
it, it it is worth considering like like we talked about at the start regarding rj and og and how context is so impactful to how players play not only just in what they're able to achieve but of like of course the efficiency but also just base like the baseline of what you can attempt to do on any given play uh pascal siakam i want to talk about pascal you are very invested in this story very very invested is pascal siakam a raptor past the deadline i know you have a couple potential trades in your mind that you're that you kind of like or i know there's some that you dislike as well but i'm gonna let you take the lead on this pascal siakam on the raptors past the deadline what do you think i i would be pretty shocked if he was still on on the raptors not not only has the the front office from the literal day that they were made available to speak to you guys that they were thinking of going in another direction not offering extension to your best player on the team they've empowered they've empowered initially the players around him and shrink and shrunk his role and they haven't shown that they're willing to really offer him a full-time max so going into free agency and hoping like the goodwill throughout the years is going to extend is super risky. They lost Fred, Fred for nothing and going to show like they've addition by subtraction. Of course, (laughs) big, big win for you, big win for you. But, um, assuming, assuming that they get a trade that is like feasible and fits around their timeline and Scotty, it would make more sense to go full force and all in on Scotty's timeline and look into building the team into year two, year three of Scotty's max extension and building a, a winner. I think keeping Pascal past the fact would be really hoping on not any regression throughout his like early to early to mid thirties. I think uh, max takes him to what 33, 34. Yep. But, um, and then also just, a level of you would hope that the shooting rebounds in a way that it has like through December and beyond, but and allow Scotty and him to be like tangible. Currently, I'm unsure if that's that's the case. Like if they could sh- continue to shoot the piss out the ball, sure. But I assume they're going to empower Scotty and allow him to earn more usage as well as have more requisite shooting to see what he looks like around like a more optimized team. So I think the two ideas that are considered consensus or maybe public wisdom is probably that keeping Pascal, signing him to a max, whether you think that's overpaid, whether you think that's deserved, whatever, probably keeps the Raptors as a good team. I think that there's there should be room for optimism for this Raptors team if they play out the rest of the year to have a shot at the playoffs. If they run things back, signing people, and they kind of shake up the back end of their rotation where there's some pretty big contracts relative to impact, some stuff like that, I think there's an expectation that that would be a good team. Yeah. I think the the swing, the home run swing when it comes to Pascal is that you move on from Pascal in in you know hopes of not being like a good team, but in hopes of seeing that championship contention or potential earlier 
and perhaps earlier on in Scotty's like max extension or something like that. I think that's the the wisdom around each decision. Does that sound correct to you? Yeah, it makes sense. Like pa- Pascal is still top thirty player at the at the worst version that you think of him, and that's extreme extremely valuable. And keeping Scotty around really good players is a net positive always. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and we have a, a comment from channel that says, is there any optimism to be found in Pascal replicating his productivity from last season on fewer minutes and less usage? Was this not the unselfishness that Masai spoke of? So the first thing, Pascal's sh- true shooting percentage is almost like it's just shy of 60% right now. He's been incredibly efficient. His numbers per 36 are probably exactly where they were last season, just on lower usage. So he's meeting the terms of what you're asking. And then was this not the unselfishness that Masai spoke of? Masai is not speaking of any specific selfishness. It was a messy buzzword he continued to throw out. And just like when he said that Delano Banton and Jeff Delton Jr. were big parts of the future before they neither of them obviously came back to the Raptors and the Raptors made no attempt to bring either of them back, he's just talking. And unfortunately, Masai was just talking in a way that negatively affected the way that fans view some of their players. And that's something I dislike. But Pascal, trade talks. Let me say something first. So, because I know I know how you feel about this. Pascal is not James Harden. Pascal is not Bradley Beal. Pascal is not remotely Damian Lillard. Yeah. He's not asking out. A player who doesn't ask out does not give a list of teams. A player who says he wants to be in a place does not give a list of teams. That's that's it. Pascal has stated that he would accept. Well, he hasn't stated. It's been reported that he would accept the max extension. He would have before this season. There's been also reports about the Raptors freezing him out over the summer, not talking to him, right? And then also... When we talk about this, he has not stated he wants to leave. So that's the thing, man. That's the thing. When you say, like, where do you want to go? And he says, here. It's not his job to, like, sell the other team on him. The team can trade him. The Raptors can trade him. And that's, like, the be-all, end-all. The Raptors can trade him. It's not Pascal's job to increase the value he's getting in the trade market. And so that's where I think like there's a bit of disconnect. That being said, what are your ideal packages or destinations for Pascal? Before I start, I I am not an NBA GM. I do not hold any power. <laughs> Nor am I as smart as Masai Ujiri. Okay, but um, I think in terms of if I were thinking of making a trade for him, would be one, a place where he can win because you should send him off. He's one of the best Raptors ever. You should send him off somewhere where he can win and he'll be utilized well. And a place that has players who that can who are both young enough to fit around Scotty's timeline and help with the construction of the team. So if I given the information that we know, I would say the number one place would probably be the Indiana Pacers. They desperately need an, another ball handler, someone who can score in, inside. Um, having having the amount of spacing that the Pacers have 
like I don't know if it's I haven't looked at it. I don't know if it's historical, but they have like an insane amount of guys who can shoot, pass, and finish at the rim. It would allow Pascal to play in probably the most like harmonious offense he's he's played, and it really allows us, us to see what outside he can of do. The, outside of the current one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We have the greatest show on court. <laughs> but it would it would give him the best chance to show what he can do. And if he's looking for, I don't know how many years he's going to sign, but if, say he signs a shorter deal, doesn't get the four four years that like I'm pretty sure John Hollinger said he won't get, that can lead to another bigger max extension. I, in terms of package, the Raptors like while their offense has been good, their defense has shown like obvious areas of weakness. They've it's forced Scotty to play a lot higher. They they're missing wing defense and a guy who can help out on the perimeter and having uh, a backup point guard would be really nice. So a guy I would target is Andrew Nemhard. He's a really good defender. The The shooting obviously comes and goes with him. He's also, he's also Canadian and he would be able to, if he's, whether he's starting or not, he would be able to offer another ball handler who can both organize the offense around him also be another guy who fits within the flow. And then in terms of just like a pure asset, um, Jairus Walker makes makes tons of sense. It's a guy who can who can play multiple positions. He offers some, a lot of the stuff that were similar with, with Precious. Really good athlete, can defend, can defend guys, offers more pluses as a passer than Precious would. He could be a guy that I'd be unsure if he could start in the future next to Scotty, but he would be a guy that shows enough promise and and um, tools that you can trade within the future and get another guy. He's he's really interesting because there like there's a huge divide on Jarris. Yeah, there's a I'm, huge. I know some guys who are like totally gassed on Jarris. Think Jarris would be like a, a home run coming back. And but that seems to be a smaller smaller group of people. But if Jarris is a home run, he seems like the gettable home run. Yeah. So it, it just was, depends on how you feel. And the Raptors should rest easy knowing that they would sell at least one Jairus Walker jersey to our friend Charles. <laughs> he's he's shooting the piss out of the ball at the G League too. So that's like a it's a Isn't that I'll, nice? Wouldn't that be nice for your 2023 draft pick to shoot the hell out of the ball at the G League it's level? It's a marathon. It's a marathon. But yeah. those would be the two guys that you would target within a trade. They the Pacers have pick pick ammo as well and like one of their big salaries is Buddy Hield. He's a guy that's on an expiring contract that you probably could flip to another team in a three trade, in a three team trade, or keep within your team because Buddy Hield fits on literally every team. And if there was a player that you'd want most around Scotty, if you want him to be your hub, it would be Buddy Hield. So I think in terms of salvaging what you have in terms of Pascal's value, the Pacers probably make the most sense for both like him and what the Raptors are looking for. The Pacers are like, Jake Fisher reported that 10 teams reached out, right? Yeah. Uh, I heard a four and like a couple of them make sense. Yeah. Indiana seems like the one far and away that makes sense to me. Yeah. Both as far as like having players the same way that like the New York deal for OG made a ton of sense, but people weren't looking at it because they're currently the, you know, the defendant in a lawsuit with the New York Knicks, but it made a lot of sense that the Knicks were trading from, you know, a place of surplus strength 
to improve a place of weakness. And the Raptors did the exact same thing. It seems like Indiana could achieve something and the Raptors could achieve something. They're going different ways. Like the Knicks and Raptors somehow both improved after that trade. I don't think that would be the case for a Pascal trade. Yeah. But I do think that's interesting. Ryan L. also says something that I agree with to some degree, saying, I seem to be in the minority, but I see Pascal as a fit anywhere all-around player like OG did versus a 1B star if traded. I th- I don't know about 1B or 2A or 1A, whatever the hell it has to be, but I do actually think that there's some wisdom in here. I think that the complications of Pascal's fit on a bunch of prospective teams, I think are overdone. I think he will fit better than a lot of people think he will. And I'm not saying this as an agent of the front office of the Toronto Raptors to try and sow, you know, discord among other front offices to say, oh, you know, he actually does fit. But I think that um, the problems of his fits, I think, would be a little bit more. uh, I think they're a little bit overstated. But I mean, Indiana makes the most sense. That's kind of where I'm at. But uh, Phoenix plays. He says, does Pascal start on every team in the NBA? (laughs) Who? I mean, I don't know. Like. I've never, I've never conceptualized that, but I think probably. Yeah. Who would he not start on? Um, like Phoenix, because, but he would just be in the front Phoenix court. Phoenix would start. A, I don't. Who would he not start on? I don't think that um, makes sense. No, the Bucks. He would just play the wing. They would be the wing defender. Um. Hmm. Phoenix plays. He says maybe Boston. I. <laughs> pass. No. Let's just let's dead it. Pascal starts everywhere. Yeah. ND says people just bring up his three-point percentage instead of everything else is so annoying. Most of these teams looking for him already have a surplus of shooting. Yeah, Pascal's shooting almost 60% inside the arc on like an insane dose of self-creation. He's a wizard in there. And it's like he the three-point shot is coming back up. Now we don't know how high it goes, but it's probably like it's not as bad as it was. He has he had a historic shooting slump for him. But mostly he is like a mediocre to passable three-point shooter. And also a guy who can create a mismatch, create with advantage, draw doubles, and create his own look to the tune of like high efficiency now in the half court. And that is very, very good. That's that's extremely valuable. And, you know, evidenced by some games this season where he kind of cares a little bit more defensively, can still turn it up to not the level that he was, but definitely he can find his way to positive impact on defense. He's a very, very good player. I just, like he's playing, if the Raptors are a good team this year, and let's say this is the team they have from the start of the year, I think that he and Scotty would have a shot at all-star positions. But it's, he's, he's a very, very impressive player. If he does leave, I don't know what the motivations will be. I'm not that plugged in. I hear a lot of the same things that you guys do, but it would it would be disappointing, like just on the sense of like, damn, Pascal Siakam's no longer a Raptor. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. It's tough because he's one of the only guys, probably in our in our history, where the the front office actively like decided that they weren't going to go all in for whether the trade was good or bad. For, for Chris Bosh, they thought, let me get Jermaine O'Neal. Let's be the Twin Towers 2.0. There was never that that ration from, from the front office. And he got to a level that I'm assuming that they did not expect. And how rapidly he did that, 
it's disappointing they didn't go for a Dame trade, didn't try to get a Zach Levine. Stuff, just another star that would have opened up the space for him to see how far he actually could go with this with this team. And the trades that like they made that were very marginal has put them in a situation where they're like depleted with assets and they or I personally feel where they kind of have to trade him, which which sucks. It's the team building leading up to this has not been as much as like Masai and Bobby deserve credit for this latest trade, certainly. And not everything is viewed in a vacuum, but there was a long sequence, like a long time where they didn't have a hit. That's, it is what it is. It's still the best front office, like in Toronto sports history, I believe. And like kudos to them, but they had, they had a couple dry years. Um, Die from North or DI from North or D from North says he doesn't want to get injured, I bet. I know this sounds uh, speculative. You know, Van Hoot says speculating on whether or not someone doesn't want to get injured or not is not too much speculation um, or is too much speculation. I'll say this. Pascal definitely doesn't want to get injured. And <laughs> that that affects a lot of different yeah. players' approaches. It, it affects Joel Embiid's approach every single game. Like you learn, and I took a class called Kinesiology 150, where you learn to disperse your body weight when you fall over a greater surface area so there isn't as much stress on one point of the body so you avoid injury. Joel Embiid took that and just was like, hell yeah. And then as well, Russell Westbrook, when you look at how he lands after jumps, he either goes to the ground to create that larger surface area or he stutter steps. This yeah. is to create less load bearing. And then you look at Derek Rose would always land with one foot up by his chest, the other taking all of the stuff. And so players do protect themselves. It wouldn't surprise me if Pascal, and I think it's categorically true that Pascal has made changes in his game as far as how he operates to avoid being more prone to injury. Because this is a guy who was the most overworked player in the NBA for like two straight seasons. And he had a torn labrum, two groin injuries, has had a bunch of stuff. And these guys, this this is his livelihood. If Pascal is like, you know, 12% worse on defense during a contract year because he's like, I don't want to have something happen that alters life-changing money, then like, I don't care. OG was quiet quitting. I don't care. Oh man, those last two weeks with OG was was rough. Like even Pascal, like his defense has has picked up post post trade. It seems like the team, in terms of effort, has has picked up in general. Like if he were to get hurt, I'd be like extremely sad, just because like what that would mean for that would just... his contract and and his career in in general. Because this is probably. He's had an inflection. The defense wasn't good anyway, man. Like, it doesn't matter that much. Like, they they weren't guarding anybody, you know? Um, He's had a weird inflection part where, like, he's looking to figure out the next step of his career, the next big deal that he's going to have. And I hope if he does get traded, he, like, it's to a team where he can be in in the playoffs. So, like, Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal would be, like, very, very fun. Yeah. I watch Knicks games. I didn't really watch Knicks games before this. I like if I watch I watch heat games after Lowry got traded there. Yep. More of them. I'll watch what it, wherever Pascal goes if he does go. Like I'm locked in. Uh he's I know some people think he's a gimmicky player because they don't watch him and there's a lot of conversation about Beyblades, etc. 
but he's one of the most unique scorers in the whole of the NBA in a league where a lot of scores are very unique. So that's Pascal Siakam. Maybe he gets traded. Maybe he doesn't. For anybody who wants more of this speculation, you can see Trey and I on a stage at Rivoli uh, in downtown Toronto on February 6th. Not all this stuff is figured out yet, but keep your calendar clear. Uh, we'll be talking about it for uh, uh, like a pre-trade deadline show. Uh, Beyblade coming from Samson's mouth is funny. Do I say it funny? I, I have a draw, so I don't know what I say wrong. But I want to talk about Dennis Shooter. Can I give you some numbers? Please. I have some big, sexy numbers for everybody. Okay. What I perceive to be quite important numbers regarding Dennis Shooter. <clears throat> from a man in a blazer. Dennis, since the move to the bench, is averaging 16 points and 7 assists on 57% from the field. That includes 89% at the rim. 89% at the rim and 28% of his shots are coming there. Prior to that, he was shooting 55% at the rim and 24% of his shots are coming there. His usage has dropped a smidge. He turns the the ball over a lot less and he has been on the whole far more effective attacking bench guards and bench bigs. He's not going to shoot 89% at the rim for the rest of time. But I think that's a strong indicator. And people have been watching the plays. There's a lot more gaps for him to attack in a more free-flowing offense in these two-guard lineups with Emmanuel quickly. And he can still play off of Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes quite effectively. It has been really, really impressive to see him just toggle it back and then guide these bench lineups. And when we think about like what the Raptors have done well, since the trade a big part of it is the bench stuff and dennis shooter has been good in these transitional lineups he's been good in bench lineups and he's kind of toggled his usage between both of them i think he's been sublime i'm proud of the guy it's it's been great especially because he was like so like unfairly miscast as like the fred van vliet like replacement it's it's good to see that (laughs) it's good to see that he literally almost makes like four times less than than Fred VanVleet, you know? I, I was told that he was a better pick and roll player. I remember that. And then everybody was like, I don't like the numbers or the approach. I want to means test the hell out of whatever you're yeah. saying. I don't even know what answer I'm looking for. But I just... It's Anthony Davis. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Is Anthony Davis, does he set good screens? Oh, he's considered historically great, you know, in the pick and roll. Does that matter? I'm choosing to discount it for this new information that I like. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, he's like operating in in the the role that the Raptors probably envisioned, like post pre Fred trade or pre Fred um, signing. But um, I really liked him playing next to another creator. The best usage we saw of Dennis was with the Lakers when he was paired with LeBron, it allows him to pick his spots, not be forced to be a playmaker that that a traditional point guard needs. And when he plays with another player that can bend defenses and get into gaps, he is such a, a quick player that he... Shea CP3 as well. He's able to extend and, and score and give the team um, a punch that the bench didn't have previously. And the Raptors love to run, and he's able to, to get down to the court in early offense and, and score fairly quickly. He was a big reason why the, when it looked like 
we were going to get game six clay yesterday. He's one of the people that steadied the steadied the ship with that lineup and then ballooned the lead back to 12. Just typically because your average bench guard is not ready for the type of athleticism that Dennis Schroeder has. So it's a, yeah. a big advantage. When he's in he's in this spot within the rotation, the Raptors typically have an advantage at that spot. He's one of the best backup point guards in the league. Yeah. Um, uh, Sal Qual or Mike Sal Qual, I don't know the pronunciation. Let me know in chat because you're in here quite often. But um, they mentioned that uh, he's been better at kind of beating the ro- the rotating defense to the glass. I think a lot of misses this year where he was getting like the the bottom right corner of the glass and it was like kind of skipping over the back bo- the the rim a little bit. I think that he's had a little bit more pace going downhill. The people have been coming a little bit later and he's been able to target a little bit more of the middle of the glass because he doesn't like the high finish. Dennis likes the low finish where he gets it off the glass quickly. So that would be goaltending if you, you know, you pluck it off the backboard. But that's a really, really good insight, I think. Um, Someone just mentioned, uh, two people mentioned that uh, uh, Halberton got injured. So just hope Halberton is okay. But we also have... um, a really insightful comment from Adamu that says, or Adam Yu, that says, it's like everyone got to shed a chunk of their least efficient minutes and RJ picked them up and made them star J minutes. That is kind of a cool thing I've noticed because RJ, you know, the the Pat Beverly corollary of dogs or whatever the hell, and he called them pups. I don't really appeal to any of that, but RJ did a really good job in some of those transitional lineups of just being like, I'll eat the usage. Like I'll try and get like I'll try and get a shot up. I'll try and create something, and he's well equipped to try in some of those in between minutes. Not every single action you run on an NBA court is going to be your maximized best action. That's not how it's going to end up. Not everything is the 2016 split action with Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry, or like Steph Curry plus KD pick and roll or pick and pop or whatever the hell. You have to be able to eat usage sometimes. And RJ has comfortably stepped into that role and been able to, you know, been able to do that. It's been Mixel. Okay. Very nice to know. Mixel. Uh, but yeah, it's I've been super, super impressed yeah. with uh Dennis and RJ. Two people whose usage as recently as last week was maligned by two different fan bases, I think. Uh it's they've both done a really good job of inputting their hunger for usage in like all the right places. Yeah. Um, the, the hierarchy of the Raptors works pretty well. It's it's what Darko envisioned and it's, it's working well. They're producing good offense and some of the best half court offense we've seen in a long time in this city. That's it's good. Um, That's true. We, we've not seen a lot of good half court offense in this city. Oh, uh, one, one last thing. What do you think about Jante? I know we, we, you, you gave me inkling of what you thought. I think we differ here. What you, oh your, yeah oh yeah <laughs> right you're a little hater oh you're my little, bro he's good he's Brother. a g-league player man he almost quit the sport <laughs> Blake and for real not like not fake like draymond he almost like quit the sport man jante was like i've been injured too much i've been down now on my luck and they picked him up they said god did he's got a plan for you man so before I get into like actually giving my opinion, but like, what was your what was your feeling when the Kavon Looney led run was with him on the floor? Like, what was your thought process? As Fanny Arberhaney once told me, in a hot tub we were all in. 
that Kevon Looney was like a top 10 center. And then we fought tooth and nail for him to realize he was a, a bottom 10 center. And you know what? Jante Porter, he can't truly hang with Kevon Looney on what was – Kevon Looney had himself a nice game. He did. So what, man? <laughs> I, I just want everyone to, like, rewind, take a trip back. It was it was in Tampa. We had no bigs. We we made a G League signing of the name of Freddie Gillespie. He started <laughs> games, bro. <laughs> we were told multiple times that the Raptors have done it again. They have identified a G League player who is very good. Like like that time, we have not done it again. That he, was also Kem. Kem got oh yeah, waved. Kem got waved, and then he started. Yeah. Oh man. And then everybody was like, "They did it again." <laughs> you know, like who can stop these guys? Freddie Gillespie. It was never true. Jante is being asked like a lot more modest. It's a yeah. lot more modest. But the Raptors clearly still need a backup center. Like he, he's yeah agile enough to hang on an NBA court. I didn't say that. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. He's, he can hang. As a backup center? In spot minutes. Sure. He can be on, he can be, he's not even on the roster. Yeah. He's still like, he's still two-way. He's still two-way. All right. So, why are you, you know, you're kind of getting down on this guy. I, I did like the one switch he did a, f- a few, a f- I forgot uh, which game it was. Who's the guard that he did a really nice switch on? Can't remember. But I said, look at that. He, he, he hung. He he kept real low and played to played to his strengths, but I would like Masai for a, a center with size, agility, some speed, and that can block shots. Nicholas Claxton, yeah. uh, just just as like in general, I love Nick Claxton. Yep. OG three says you guys need to get in a hot tub with Masai and chat about Jakob. We also deci- decided in that same hot tub stint that Jakob was not a top ten center. Sadly, <laughs> um, he's also not playing tomorrow. Because he, yeah. he uh, rolled his ankle. Do you remember Kem Birch? His agent said that uh, he got offered $18 million a year. Turned it down. Wasn't that oh. awesome? Wasn't that's, that awesome? That's just like, Lying it, is cool, man. That's an insane lie to play. Like, And not only was it I turned down the money to like start somewhere else. No, I turned it down to be the backup center of the Toronto Raptors. That was, that was pretty crazy. Um, D from the North says, uh, will Christian definitely be back? It seems a long recovery period. Yeah, it is not, uh, this is like a medical thing. This isn't like an injury thing. So the rules around the team updating and the rules around the team sharing info are different. And so Christian is just, yeah, Christian is just coming at his own speed. However that works for him, everyone should just hope that it goes as well as it possibly can for him. And Phoenix plays E says Coloco will be back next year. <laughs> so whoever, <laughs> where, whatever information you want to believe. Um, Nesta asks, can they apply for a player exemption for him? I honestly haven't even considered it. Um, I, maybe they could, but I, you know, that's not something I've actually considered. Um, but Yaka Pertle tomorrow, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, he's out. Who do you think starts? That is a, a great question. I would assume they just start Scotty at, at the five and, and bring up Gary. I would, that's what I would assume. Because if 
God forbid, if Dante Porter is starting against Anthony Davis. You, you, don't think, you don't think Darko spies that little that little two-guard lineup and he says, Dennis, it's time. You don't think he You don't I, think he sees that? I think Gary's much easier to fit in, like within the flow of the offense, but Dennis does does make sense. Just because the Lakers are also just so poor at the point of attack that he'd be able to cause real damage. I don't know how how they defend Anthony Davis tomorrow. Maybe it's just like by committee they front him and just um, use their speed and like that. But I I would start Gary personally just because it it's a, another shooter on the wing that gives you more help. You want you want to do a friendly like a wager? You wanna, yeah, a wager of sorts. Do you want to okay. do one of those? What's sure, on the man. table? Ooh. We're going to be in Mexico together in like oh, a yes. month. You want to bet on some tacos? Done. Dennis, Gary. All right. Done. Winner owes tacos. They're pretty cheap. It's not that big a deal. They're great tacos, though. I'm excited. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> Coco says Samson betting question mark. <laughs> it's not money. You know, anyway, yeah, anyway, as you, you got me there, I have to say. Um, Van Hoot says Trey has to run another space. That's true. You usually do. That is usually the, the is, winner loss. That's yeah. also a two-time thing. It's, it's not something I'm willing to I, to bet on. Can I tell you something? Yes, sir. Two-time thing is not a saying. It's the start of a pattern. Yeah, I was about to say one time thing, but I realized I was lying because I did it multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I called into the one from the stadium, actually, the one time. Uh, okay, answer like two more questions and we'll get out of here. Uh, I, well, I guess let's just keep it on the starting lineup thing. How do we think a combination of what, let's assume, Jonte, Chris, and Scotty do on the Lakers front court? Anthony Davis is still really good at basketball, I find. Yeah. I think they don't have anyone scary enough for the permanent side from LeBron James, obviously, of course, that makes you that scare you enough where you can't throw two people at Anthony Davis. I would you would probably front and then immediate immediately send help. And if you have like say in your bench lineup or you have Scotty fronting him and then Boucher's flying in and, and offering the help. That'd be really difficult for like for the for the Lakers because they don't have the requisite shooting ten time nine out of ten times. So I would assume that's how they, they would would play him. You know and what's you, gonna happen? They're going to front well actually they're going to play somebody on his back. They're gonna hang somebody in the lane to dissuade post entries. That's what I think happens. And then they're gonna have to catch up to guard the ball elsewhere. And Austin Reeves is going to grift his way to at least eight free throws, and I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I forgot you have a thing with Austin Reeves. He has, he has the he probably has like RJ is actually one of those other guys who have like a very good whistle. He he gets to the line. RJ earns his free throws, man. <laughs> he's a battering ram. Yeah. Can I also say that like he's got some great nicknames, Star J is really that's like a hall of fame nickname so is our jay i liked that one i coined that one you know with a little canadian flag not that i'm a big like nationalist or anything like that but you, you get the idea 
He I enjoyed was, watching Shea this summer. He, he misrepresented our level of food, though. The fact that the first thing that he picked was Osmos is just uh, an entire disappointment on the entire country. That was pretty – like, why do you think he said that? Do you think that's true? Like, has he not been put on? I don't know. Like, there's there's no way he hasn't been to, like, the local Sharma spot in, like, Mississauga. I just feel like he must have had his business hat on. There's no, there's no other way. They, they told him. They whispered in the ear, like, you know, there's an Osmos deal incoming. That's yeah. Coco says he's been away for a bit, or he wants those sponsorship dollars. <laughs> yeah, I sus, I suspect he's making a business decision, and one I, you know, hey, the Raptors, the biggest brand deals they, the guys on the team have been like signing. Are like Pascal's always Red Bull deal, presumably, but always, but also like there's been a lot of like crypto stuff, <laughs> Raptors <laughs> players lately, and being like, hey, I like Osmos is way better than crypto stuff. So, yeah, or like you like Subway, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> they say live review question mark, and then uh, Ripty Rose says some people just like shitty food, fam. That's true. <laughs> That's some a- people. There's like everything is made out of corn in the United States and Canada. Everything is made out of corn. And we just eat corn and like things that come from corn. Do you know this? Everything is corn here, dude. It's weird. After after going like we our, our good friend Josh Cordonero took us on like a little a little West Coast tour of food. And after having raisin canes, I I could see it. We, we were so primed to enjoy that food, though. Yeah. We'd gone to the Grand Canyon for hours. We played basketball in the desert. We're like, get us some chicken. We need to eat some chicken. We walked in there. We slammed it and the yeah. Texas toast. This is actually the second. When S was on, I was talking about, well, actually, that's a few episodes ago. We were talking about Golden Corral. Mm-hmm. And we are talking about Sal's Pizza in San Francisco. Um, OG3 says high fructose corn syrup is in our DNA. Yes. It, it, also, uh, what was the one? that uh dupont it was like teflon it was like something to the power of eight it's in like every single living thing as well because they just poisoned the world with it and then in the town where it happened they just gave like a whole whack of people cancer um cool cat co says scotty got subway and google phone unlock and he does the crypto one as well uh (laughs) scramble says rice has more nutrition than your corn syrup rice is so fire man i had rice tonight um Not a big Phoenix, play, Phoenix Play Z has updated us with a Shams report. He says that all-star Tyrese Halliburton has suffered oh. a left hamstring strain. That isn't as bad as it read in chat. Yeah, it's not I like thought his, I thought his leg got severed. That's fair. Based on what chat, but that probably keeps him out. Like he's not in the all-star game, probably. Yeah, that's probably yeah, he's probably out for a, a month and change, if not more. That's tough. Hmm. Van Hoot says that was a story from the Aaron Brockovich movie. It was also, it was the one with, uh, what's his face? He's the Hulk. Mark Ruffalo. Oh, he yeah. starred in it. He played the lawyer. Anyway, uh, we're talking about food. That feels like a good, good place to end it. <laughs> uh, Rip D. Rose says, who's going to be the first Raptor to take the Bet Rivers bag? I don't think they're allowed to do that. I think they're allowed to own 
part of it as part of the new CBA. I think they're allowed to like invest like how like, you know, Kevin Garnett, you could emulate Kevin Garnett who like has a betting company like type thing. Um, Coco says rice is a staple for the global majority. It is the most clutch food of all time, in my opinion. Um, and then channel said, okay, sir, what's the most clutch food then? Like, I, I'm just not a rice person. Like, you, as my base, give me some mixed veggies, maybe mashed, mashed potatoes. Oh, you're you, talking you, to an Irish fellow over here. <laughs> I could eat some mashed potatoes. I, I could muck up some mashed potatoes. Oh. Uh, mashed potatoes are fire. Mixed veggies, I wasn't actually expecting. Mixed veggies is a good answer. That's a healthy answer. Yeah, man. I'm proud of you. No wonder, you. no wonder you look so good all the time. Mexico incoming. Holy smokes. Phoenix plays E says burger slap. Burgers are not rice, though. Could you imagine if people ate burgers like rice? It's just like the... <laughs> anyway. Uh, that feels like a, a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Right? We got yeah. a podcast here? Okay, uh, before you guys get out of here, listeners, like the video. It'll help suggest it to other people. And it's free. It's one click away. It's right there. To the people listening via the podcast apps, which is actually where the majority of the people listen, thank you for indulging the non-linear aspect of the, the live podcast this year. I hope you enjoy the extra banter and the, I guess the, the interaction with the chat. I certainly enjoy it. Uh, um, especially when they're... Sometimes chat is mean. <laughs> <laughs> not really anymore but there was a time where i was like dang you guys are really cooking me all the time like, jesus lord like people you know people come in from like other places and they're like yeah. i hate you you're so stupid or whatever i'm like damn this is crazier than the normal podcast um joseph cassidy says this was pretty much a podcast i feel like that's a good point yeah it was pretty it's much like, a podcast like our every interaction we like anytime that um we go for a ride anywhere we just like do a podcast that is the most like guy thing you've ever said. Every guy ever has said that, you know. I thought that was really endearing. I thought that was like uh, commemorating our friendship. No. <laughs> Rip D Rose. Rip D Rose says, "Was it hard to come out as bald?" Uh, <laughs> no, but our, our mutual friend, whose name I can't say on the podcast, uh, he I made a video once and sent it to Trey and my friends. And uh, it was really funny because I was making like I was reenacting a fight scene and I had a bunch of cuts. And then the one guy just said, you really wear the beanie inside? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. Um, and that was that was like before I was like uh, shaving. That was like when I was leaving like a little bit more on and I was like, OK, it's got to go. It's uh, it's all got to go. Uh, the yeah, um, Phoenix plays E says people finding out Samson is bald is wild. Yeah, because that is like I said the other time. I'm not hat fishing anybody, you know. Like I'm not I'm not trying to trick anybody. It's that's why my my Twitter photo is like it's me. I'm a bald guy. Um, but yeah, would I like to have hair like Timothy Chalamet? Sure, I would. But hey, the cards you're dealt, man. This is the way of the world. Anything you want to say before we get out of here, Trey? Um. If if Masai pulls off another trade like this at the deadline, I will publicly apologize to that man. That's all it would take? Wait, wait. Or sorry. You need that? Because I have a video of you after Grady Dick got drafted screaming. And since you have a deep voice, I feel inclined to say bellowing. Masai is back. Ugh, I, How do you feel? 
I, I that was a moment of weakness. But if he pulls off, <laughs> if he pulls off another one like this, you won't hear me say a bad word about him again. Hmm. All right. Noted. Scramble says shout out to the thumbnail to this pod. I do love the stepbrothers thing. It's like, uh, it's pretty funny. RR says Turkey is a flight away, Samson. Yeah, but so was like, <laughs> you know what? S, I think, has a more uh, linear path to extreme wealth. If he goes there, I'll tag along. Otherwise, I don't know. Trey, how much did that headboard cost you? Poor <laughs> financial decision. You so bought that? I didn't come with it? No, bro. You're a fool. <laughs> <laughs> my son's. I have wow. no. I have no idea what my son's sign is. I don't have a headboard. I just got pillows over there. I know I'm supposed to have a headboard and all that kind of stuff, but I told you this story before, Trey. But when I moved to Toronto, Aleg put me on this bed company that he was gonna order from, and they're like a little bit scammers. But he vouched for it. And then he ended up getting a bed from somewhere else. So my bed situation, not ideal. <sighs> D from the North says, no trade, just a contract for him. We'll see. Yeah. I feel like we'll see. All this kind of stuff, we'll see. Headboards, food, all that good stuff. Uh, the banter is part and parcel of the Pull Up Trade podcast, which I think will be coming out more regularly now, now that we've sorted things. Yeah, We had a contract dispute from Trevon Heath. <laughs> fighting for his well-earned dollar all right trey you want to say goodbye to the people you can do the outro look at that i need a catchphrase at the end i don't have what you have but i'll say uh not a lot of people do i slumped into some good catchphrases i'll think of one for next time i'll just um i'll do a soul trade peace love and soul wow (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) bye-bye